learning how to be patient. I think a lot of people just because of how the world works and how quickly we can gain information and get information, the expectation is tomorrow I'm gonna to be on my yacht, as you said. Hey, it's JP. Hi, it's Excel. And you're listening to Terry Shower on the Real Estate Investors Club podcast. Hello, and welcome to this week's episode of the Real Estate Investors Club podcast. I'm here with Kurt Warner, who is from Toronto, I'm pretty sure. Yeah. <laughs> um, we met through some real estate education kind of a context. I think Kurt has since moved on from there, and uh, we're going to just get into his story and, and hear a little bit about what he does. So, Kurt, maybe you can take me through your journey through life that has led you to be sitting with me today on the Real Estate Investors Club podcast. Okay, I won't go back to the very beginning when I was born in childhood, but uh, I guess the story kind of starts when I went to university. Uh, my mom owned a few properties uh, just outside the Toronto area, so condos and a bunch of the townhouses. So she decided to actually do what a lot of us probably to do, especially this time of year, is move to a nice tropical island. Uh, so she did that when I started university. So I was left managing properties and I had no idea what I was doing. Um, so I did that throughout you know, from 99 till about 2004 when I finished university. And it was a great learning experience for me. There were some good times, definitely some bad times managing properties and learning the hard way. Um, and I started working at a local newspaper doing advertising sales. And so I was there for about two and a half months. And I remember my boss calling me into her office on a Thursday morning, thinking, you know, it's a pep talk before going out and talking to new clients. And so I sat down and she actually fired me. She said I couldn't sell and that they were letting me go. So first job out of university, got fired. Awesome. So I spent the summer trying to figure out what I wanted to do next. And uh, my girlfriend at the time, her best friend worked for a company that taught people how to invest in real estate and the financial markets. And so I was interested. Uh, I knew she traveled quite a bit uh, throughout Canada, the US as well. And so they were actually hiring when I applied. So I started off in sales with that uh, organization in 2004 in August and worked there pretty much up until 2019, but always kind of advanced transition roles uh, within the organization from sales to marketing management, to sales manager to operations manager, and ended up being the general manager for all of Canada um, when I left back in 2019. So that's kind of my professional career. And what happened with the investing? So you managed the properties for your mom. Did yeah. you go on to invest? Well, I did. And uh, so, as I said, I started with the company in 2004. Uh, so in 2007, uh, myself and a couple of colleagues decided, hey, let's start investing in real estate. Um, it took the few, first few years just trying to figure out what I wanted to do, real estate, stock, or something else. And, you know, after the conversation, we said, okay, let's start investing in real estate. So in 2007, we actually uh, bought a property that was in pre-power uh, sale. Uh, which had appraised at 740000 but at 590000 So at the time, we're thinking, okay, we've made it. We're going to be these real estate moguls. We're going to be billionaires in the next couple of years and grow this business. And although we bought the property well, uh, we had it financed completely hard money, so we had no money in. Uh, we were actually able to give the seller, who was a woman that went through the force, $30,000 uh, on closing 
which is also a good feeling for us to help because we a couple of young kids and just needed some money to obviously pay off the existing mortgage, but also pocket money to kind of make her next move. We felt good about that. Now, where we failed is we saw dollar signs um, and we had egos. And so although we had this beautiful executive home uh, that was ours, we didn't stage it. Uh, we didn't do any landscaping. Uh, we hired an agent that um, was not good, didn't do a good job of marketing the property. And because we had obviously taxes, insurance, um, you know, utilities were minor, obviously no one was in it, but we had this hard money loan um, that we were paying every month. So as we figured maybe two months to sell. At the time we acquired the property, the market started to soften, not having a good realtor, not attracting buyers, not doing anything. It sat for, I think it was about six months, seven months. And it got to the point of us having to lower our asking price. And after all, everything was said and done, we ended up losing money on that deal. No, wow. (laughs) So that was my first foray into real estate investing. So like some people do, and I've learned not to do this anymore, but I decided to give up in real estate. And I said, real estate doesn't work. So I started uh, learning how to trade stocks, options, and Forex. And I did that actively from February, March, 2009. So essentially the bottom of the market uh, for years. And I thought that was it. I'm just going to trade and had good years, bad years um, as a trader. But one thing that I realized is that financial markets and trading wouldn't allow me to leave a legacy or anything for my kids. So I decided to take a break from trading in 2017 and spent a year just really working. And I was kind of bored. Like I had gotten used to trying to build and, you know, educate and learn. So it was kind of stagnant for a year and went to lunch with two very good friends in 2018. I think it was June. And we've had many conversations over the years about wanting to start a business together or do something outside of our nine to fives that we do collectively. And I think it was one of those times where everybody hated their job at the same day and time. And we decided, okay, we're going to do something that's going to be real estate investing. So it's like, all right, if we're going to do this, let's do it properly. So we took courses with that organization that I was with and worked with a couple of the mentors and got incorporated in December, 2018, acquired our first multifamily property in April. So that was kind of getting back to real estate and uh, we've been buying and selling properties uh, since then. And which market are you in? So we focused primarily in Sudbury. Um, and also we have property, a couple properties in Timmins. Now, when we started out, it was obviously doing market research, trying to figure out where we wanted to invest. Our goal is cash flow. So being in the GTA, like I'm in Milton, well, my, one of my uh, partners in Milton as well, and Brandon, we couldn't find anything that cash flowed back in two, that late 2018, 2009, even with rates where they were, property prices not as high as they are, you know, through COVID. So I started researching different markets and people were like, okay, try London, try Kitchener, try Windsor, try, you know, Hamilton. And Running the numbers, we wanted to be very conservative in our, you know, analysis of properties. So what turned out for us was Sudbury worked well. Um, when we were looking at, you know, the, the cost per unit, for example, um, the first property we got under contract, which we ended up walking away from for a funding strike, um, was about $50,000 per unit. 
And then wow. we also looked on the East Coast. So that is why we chose Sudbury and rents were still pretty strong uh, for that area. It also had a very diverse economy. It wasn't just mining. They also had mining, um, education, technology, they had universities there, they had a hospital there. So we felt it was a very stable market for us that also provided that. And so tell me about researching that because like I, you know, I'm in Montreal. Uh, I got to over COVID driven out of Montreal because the cash flow wasn't working for me anymore. And I had the experience of like mapping a secondary market um, and kind of getting into that. But like, what was that like for you guys? I mean, did you physically go there? Like, how did you go about, you know, making your decisions and, and, and familiarizing yourself with the terrain? So my business partners make fun of me because I don't really look at pictures even on listings or anything I get. I just looked at numbers. So I looked at the population. Um, I looked at the cost per unit. I looked at things as that service ratio, the cap rate in certain areas. So it was all numbers driven. Um, you know, looking at is the population growing or shrinking? What is the demographics like? Are there a lot of old people? Are there like, you know, young families? So all of those things kind of factored into the market analysis, but never looked at a picture. So the first property I mentioned we got on the contract was 10 units. And we had it under contract for 400, just under 425,000, 420 to 425, some weird number of machine. And so we decided to actually go up and see it because my business partners were not like me and they actually wanted to make sure the building exists and not just numbers and cash flow. So we went up and actually saw the property and our realtor um, actually was on vacation at the time that we, you know, thought I'd been communicating with them about the property and the contract. So he actually left his vacation early from Florida in February to come to Sudbury. Yeah. Yeah. I need his number, man. Uh, he <laughs> That's is, he's amazing. He, he's amazing. And uh, so he toured the property. Uh, it was not one that we wanted to pursue just because of tenancy, the amount of work that the building needed. I still kick myself because I think it was a great opportunity. There was vacant land beside it. And then beside the vacant land, there were uh, a new commercial building. There were um, a couple car dealerships across the street. So I saw it, you know, as an opportunity for us to, you know, buy that property and possibly sell it to future development commercial. It has not happened yet in that, in that area, but I wouldn't be surprised if it happens at some time. So we did actually make a couple trips up to separate um, to see property. So we toured a bunch. We had a lot of fun doing it, uh, just our personalities. But uh, at the end of the day, we ended up, you know, finding and acquiring our first uh, six-unit property in April 2009. But still, so, okay, so you num a lot of numbers. Like, I could see, the, you know, the fundamentals of that are good. You did make a couple of trips up there. But, like, tell me, like, what did you do to feel like you had boots on the ground that could help you? I mean, I assume you have a property manager up there. Yes, uh, we do. And even, you know, use an, you use the Toronto agent to buy a place in Sudbury. You didn't use a Sudbury agent. Like, explain that to me. So the agent actually is in Sudbury. Uh, Gary, shout out if you ever listen to this. We love you. Um, but yeah, we used a local agent uh, who knew the market very well. Uh, he was from Sudbury. He actually had a small business in Sudbury as well. So he had a very good sense of what it was like to be an entrepreneur. He had a good sense of the real estate market. Um, and he introduced us to our entire power team. So for the six unit that we closed on, uh, when we put an offer out, the second time it went back, Gary invited the property management manager to kind of walk through the property with us. So we could get 
obviously get to know them a little bit and hear their thoughts on what we could do with the property, with the tenants to actually generate the most amount of cash flow. So after meeting her, we felt really comfortable investing, you know, in a market that is, you know, basically a four hour drive from where we live. Um, and we loved her ideas. So, you know, that property, you know, had solar on it, but from a property management standpoint, one of the cool things that she said is, you know, we had a front entrance. She said, why don't we turn that into a laundry, on-site laundry, coin-operated, increase um, revenue for the building. There was a little shed in front, full of light garbage. So she said, we'll clear this out and then we'll offer that to a tenant or two to use as storage, which we did. And then we had additional parking spots in the back and then behind the building were commercial properties. So we actually rented out a parking spot to somebody as well. So we now had a property that not only had Rental income, which capped on its own. We had solar income, which that was just, we bought the building with solar, which is awesome. And we were able to generate laundry, parking, and some storage all in building. So, which was awesome. So having a good property manager um, was key for us. And also having a great realtor that started to understand what it was we were looking for. We did not want anything that you wanted to take a stick of dynamite to and blow up and start from scratch. But we also didn't want things that were completely turnkey. We wanted something where, you know, we could use some renovations when tenants moved out, increase the rents up to market, and that increased a lot of property. So that was our strategy. Enjoying the episode so far? Have you really been listening to the episode or has your monkey mind been taking you off in one direction or another? Our mental habits can be our biggest assets or our biggest liabilities as we pursue certain goals. For me, the biggest performance gains have always come from training my mind. In my book, Mindful Landlord, I talk about how you can train your mind and how you can apply some of these strategies to your journey in the real estate field. The book is available on Amazon and also on its website, mindfullandlord.com. Now I'll stop evangelizing for the power of mental training and let you get back to the show. And so you're kind of like kind of touching on it, I guess, but I don't know if there's any way you could like describe your business model. You know, uh, I think, I, you know, I asked you if you could throw together some numbers that could help people, you know, understand the kind of deal you do, deals you do. But along with that, like maybe if you can speak to like, you know, different investors have different business models that looks at, okay, you've told me the mark, kind of market that you look at, um, you know, is there something specific about the properties that attract you? And then how do you, you know, put that all together with your magic ingredients? So I would say our strategy really relies on Finding a properties that cash flow as is. So the existing tenants, or if they are vacant properties, which we've done a couple of those, that when we do bring fence and at market rents, they do provide cash flow. Ideally, what we want is upside. Um, so for instance, uh, another six unit building that we, that we purchased, I know, was fully, uh, fully occupied. And when we acquired it, I think we've turned over so far three units, and that's about a year and a half ago. So with each unit that we turned over, we do go in and we do talk our property manager first, and we get a sense of you know, what are market rents. And then we'll look at the cost to rehab the property, whether it's paint or kitchen or bathroom, whatever repairs need to be done. And then we have them tell us, okay, if we spend X, let's say it's 15,000, how much could we get in rent? If we went to the high end and maybe it's 25,000, how much could we get in rent? And then we'll analyze what the impact is on the net operating income of the building, which then allows us to determine, you know, what is going to be the value of that property if we decide to sell or then also finance 
land, you know, equity, and then move on to the next one. So that's kind of been our business model, you know, throughout. I think um, COVID, obviously, with the tremendous increase in, in property values, we did actually sell a couple of properties um, where it's not quite at the very peak, but close to the peak of the market, um, which was something unexpected. We had a plan of five to 10 years of, okay, the property is going to be worth this. And when above that, we're like, okay, we could just sell and then, you know, start acquiring other properties. But that was kind of our business model. Yeah. And so tell me like what's happening now, because so you, you know, liquidated at the right time, everybody, you know, sometimes those decisions are like just fortuitous, you know, you do the right thing at the right time. <laughs> yeah. um, so what are you doing now with the, the changing conditions? So now things have changed and, you know, within our, our business uh, with my original partners, just due to life circumstances, you know, we're still good friends. We still enjoy hanging out, but we've decided to not acquire any more properties together. And so I'm actually working with other people that, you know, from the same company. And right now we're actually looking at, we've been looking at larger, um, properties. So we were, uh, working on a self-storage or well, actually three self-storage facilities, uh, just couldn't come to an agreement with the seller. And again, it was off market, but a lot of what we're doing now is off market. We're not looking at anything that is listed. So just through building up relationships and connections with other investors and realtors. We're looking for people to bring us off-market deals, um, analyze them, and that way we're not competing with any investors. And we're also able, in some cases, to deal directly with the seller. So the one that we're working on right now, and we're just preparing uh, different options. So we've had conversations uh, with the seller. They are trying to move into more development. And so they're, they've been liquidating their portfolio, and they have 44 units left. So you're going to be presenting uh, three options uh, to acquire 44 units in Northern Ontario as well. That's really what we're working on. And the strategy is the same, you know, looking at it's four separate properties. Um, we came up with, you know, a price that seller wants that we are comfortable also offering. That's about structuring the deal and how we can finance it. So right now, one of those properties is vacant, completely vacant, and that's a 10 unit. So we're actually going to end up purchasing that one for a dollar. And the other three for the amount that they want with the goal of getting, you know, getting the tenants in, getting a track record of income and expenses, obviously, and then going to refinance that part some, you know, that to use payback investors and ourselves or the other three that we purchased. So that is really that strategy and obviously put property management in place and just capital. Okay. So I think the, you know, one of the takeaways here, you know, maybe for our audience is that. Uh, and this, I mean, it happened to me as well. It's interesting as I talk to other people who like, you know, live in urban centers where maybe the cash flow doesn't make sense is basically your business model forces you to look elsewhere. Mm -hmm. um, and I think that that's something in, that we're going to see increasingly. And it's not necessarily something to be scared of, something that you need to have your way of, you know, researching and like vetting a market, getting to know it. Maybe for some of it, it's more, you know, research and numbers based. I know for me, when I wanted to start investing in the, in my secondary market, like I just spent a lot of time on the ground there, get the feel for the place. And intuitively I was like, okay, this part of town, good, that part mm -hmm. of town, bad. And the numbers made sense for my business model. So that's kind of, kind of an interesting uh, takeaway. If I can kind of switch gears a little bit. Um, one of the questions that I, I ask most of our guests, just because I feel like that conversation is lacking from a lot of investment things is what kind of lifestyle hits did you take to go on your investment journey? 
because I think like a lot of times, you know, people, they have a day job or they have something about their life where, you know, there's like this comfort zone of the life that conventionally everybody has. And then we go on this like investor's path. And before you start, you know, posting photos of you with yachts on Instagram, there's a long way between when you make the decision and when you begin reaping the kind of success we all dream about. Right. So can you tell me about some of that? I would say that, um, you know, personally, um, I, I like to say that I've gone through two midlife crises and, and I'm still, you know, close to, well, I guess I'm, I'm mid forties now, but yeah, definitely that, that has been a challenge. Um, you know, obviously there can be a hit to the amount of time, especially when you're starting out, you know, that learning growth phase. You're investing a ton of time in understanding what real estate is. It's one thing to go through a course and get the kind of book education on, okay, what is that service ratio? Like, what is a cap rate? What, you know, what is a coverage rate? Like all of that you learn, but when you actually go to start applying it, it takes more time. So you go through that education phase where you're spending, you know, n plus hours a week, and then you fall in love with real estate. And like, I remember before we did our first one, I probably analyzed, not even just looked up, analyzed in and around a hundred properties. And so it takes a lot of time. And then I love Excel. So building Excel models and how to analyze and become more efficient. So I'd say the, the lifestyle, it was definitely time. And, you know, for me that resulted in, you know, getting separated and divorced as part of that. I don't want to attribute all of that to There's other factors, but definitely time played a role in that. So that sacrifice is, is huge. I think the time, and I would say that anybody that is starting out that you make sure and you don't forget other aspects of life when you're getting into real estate investing, it can grow and it will grow. It doesn't need 24 seven or to make it happen. Although it might feel like it initially and also learning how to be patient. I think a lot of people just because of how the world works and how quickly we can gain information and get information, the expectation is tomorrow I'm going to be on my yacht, as you said, um, you can get there and it will take time. And I think you just have to create, uh, action steps that you can do every day and just to plan things out and to say, this is going to be a five to 10 year kind of journey and process to get to where I want to be. And. A lot of times you get there earlier, but at least if you say five to 10 years, you're not sacrificing other aspects of your life and you're not missing other aspects of life on the journey to getting that succession one. Yeah. I think that's, uh, I'm, I'm, you know, I'm glad you brought that stuff up. I think, uh, you know, I, on the show, I get to interview people like younger people, older people, and, you know, for people like who are in our age bracket, who are looking at getting on this train. The reality is that the lifestyle hit is often, it's often a time lifestyle hit. Like when you're younger, you might have, you have probably, you have more time and your time is not worth as much you know, like dollar value as our, let's say our time is at, at this time in our careers, right? Mm -hmm. uh, but you have kids, you have family, you have all other things where like you can't move to, you know, a grotty submarket. Like you're not going to move to Sudbury tomorrow to become the king of Sudbury. But if you were 25 years old, like maybe you would consider doing that or maybe you would be house hacking or maybe you would be, doing something else, like taking a different kind of lifestyle hit. So, you know, I think it's interesting to hear the span of, you know, whatever people's life circumstances are, it ends up being different. And I think that for people who are like our age, that's, that's a reality. And it's a reality. You need to, the sacrifices you make, be realistic about them and, and, you know, the, be realistic about the toll that they take and, you know, manage that mm -hmm. uh, responsibly. I think 
you know, one thing I know other people go through kind of in our age bracket, or even those that might be a little bit younger, a little bit older, they're, they're in a situation where they have a nine to five. A lot of times, unless they're working from, they can't work on their real estate business, you know, while they're working. So they have to figure out when that time is. And I was fortunate just to be, you know, company I worked for promoted investing in real estate and financial markets. So it kind of tied in with what I was already doing, but it still, you know, takes time. So I would say for anybody starting out to figure out if you're somebody that is a morning person, get up a little early in the morning and work on your business then before they start kids and work and what other responsibilities you have. If you're like me, a night person, then it might mean sacrificing a little bit of sleep and, you know, work when everybody else is, you know, in bed for, for a few hours. And you just have to figure out when you can plan it where it's not interfering with everything else you have going on. Yeah. So, and I think this, this, you know, kind of ties in nicely to the last, my last uh, question, which is what in the industry should we be talking about that we're not talking about? I think. Initially, I think 2022 is interesting. Obviously we saw rates go up tremendously and a lot of investors, you know, that weren't doing research, weren't paying attention to the signs last month, especially those that were trying with property. So I think right now, um, one thing that we're not talking a lot about that, um, you know, I'm hearing and, you know, it goes back to, I guess the first property I ever bought, which was a pre, pre, uh, power sale or closure property. Just to look for those opportunities where you will have investors and even homeowners that can't afford to, you know, pay the mortgages and not from the standpoint of, Hey, I'm going to jump in and get this property at a deep discount, but you have the ability as an investor to help people out of a bad situation. Um, so I think talking more about how as investors, we can help people, other investors and individuals that are facing a tough financial time not being able to, you know, cover their mortgage payments or buy properties that no longer cash flow, helping them out. So I think that's something that probably needs to be talked about more because we've talked about the interest rate hike and you no know, investors have adjusted, at least on the buyer side, adjusted sellers, you guys need to catch up. Buyers have adjusted uh, and we know how much we can get or should pay for property right now in this, in this environment. Sellers need to catch up. Um, that's the other piece, uh, you know, it's. It's interesting when you put an offer out and you look at the numbers and you're like, I know you wouldn't buy this for that price with at this interest rate because it doesn't cash flow. So why do you expect me here? So I think that also has to happen. Yeah. Good advice. Um, Kurt, is there anything I left out? Anything you want to highlight? I would say nothing that's left out, but anybody that is either, you know, partway through their journey as an investor or just starting out, it is and can be a grind. Um, it's not, you know, easy. Like you see on YouTube videos and TikTok videos and Instagram, that is not the world of a real investor. Uh, I think a real investor does put in work, does put an effort of time. At the end of the day, there is definitely a reward. One of my business partners is Nacador for the next, uh, three months, reaping the rewards of, you know, a career of investing in real estate and doing it the right way. So I would say patience. Patience. All right. Good place to leave it. Kurt, um, thank you for spending this time with me, sharing some of your wisdom and experience with our listeners. What's the best place people to, should get in touch with you? Um, there's a few. So myself and another uh, business partner, we've started a community on Facebook called Frack Community. Definitely reach out there. We do um, 
webinars, workshops, things like that, just trying to help other investors that are you know, trying to actually get into this space and to uh, thrive in it and thrive community. Um, I also started my own business called Life Balance Measure, and really that's aimed at helping investors, entrepreneurs try to balance, you know, life, growing a business, health and wellness, and all that kind of stuff. Because I think investors and business owners, we get so caught up in trying to build a business that other aspects of life kind of fall apart. So I'd like to help as many people as I can and have a few podcasts that I do as well. Great. Uh, so if you send those to me, I'll be happy to drop them in the show link, the show notes. Um, so Kurt, thank you again for spending this time with us. Thank you for having me. Thanks for listening to the Real Estate Investors Club podcast. We hope you enjoyed this episode. If you did, remember to give us a rating, leave a comment, subscribe, and share. You can find Terry at terryshower.com. Her book, Mindful Landlord, is available on Amazon. You can also follow her on Facebook, LinkedIn, and Instagram. JP is the president of the Real Estate Investors Club. You can learn more about the club's networking and educational activities on Facebook by searching for Real Estate Investors Club. Look to the show notes to find information on our guests and links to material mentioned in the episode.